0: Cafe. I'm Pastor Mike Ramsell. If we have not met uh, today, it's a kind of a special day. Pastor Johnny and I actually have kind of swapped. Pastor Johnny's preaching the services, the traditional services, and tonight, and I'm preaching uh, Pastor David's services uh, because Pastor David is preparing to uh, go to England with Stephanie to represent us on the leading edge. The leading edge is the top 100 attended Methodist Church pastors. Senior pastors. He's going to go represent us there uh, well a- in that trip to England and the Wesley tour and touring all the places John Wesley uh, lived and taught and preached. I, ser- I, le- I-, I served the church in that same area for many years. We, we went to places like uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> and he gets it and goes to England. So sometimes life is not fair. But anyway, we-, we-, we pray God blesses him and Stephanie in that great journey and learning that. And I have been to those places, so it's great that David gets to do that now. I really appreciate the music in this service, those who lead us so well, and the Well Cafe, I know all those people who are prepare, practice, pray, uh, learn to, to sing and to play music. Let's give them applause. Can we do that? I could sit back at the Well Cafe or the Well either one to sit in the back and just worship uh, for, for, for a long, long time enjoying what they offer us, so I appreciate it, and I know you do as well. We now are in the third week of a series on the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is simply a Bible book, it's God's word, and it's a word that we need. And So God says, you need this, so I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to title it Habakkuk, and I'm going to give it three chapters. We need these words that talk about faith in hard times. Pastor Davis kind of led, the theme, led this with this kind of theme, that if you don't need it now, you will. That is absolutely true. Chances are you probably already have. You may even need it today, but you will one day. It's part of life's journey to have hard, difficult, even desperate times where we need God more and more and more. Faith in hard times is that title on the book of Habakkuk. Now, so far in my own a series that i preached the last two weeks, I, I talked about the first really two, two or three verses where Habakkuk simply says, How long, O Lord, before an answer comes? As you might know, they were, they were in this kind of time. Uh, Habakkuk points out that everybody around him is just living wrong. They're, they're living in sin. They're, they're not just. They're worshiping idols. They have abandoned God, his people in Jerusalem and Judea, and he's devastated by that. On top of that, his world right there is falling apart. They have watched the northern kingdom, ten tribes already fall into disaster. Uh, they've been conquered, taken into captivity. There's no more northern kingdom of Israel. All that's left is Judah and Jerusalem, and he knows the enemies are at their gate, and they're about to come as well, and it's going to go completely downhill from that point. He sees that coming, and so he says, how long is this going to go on, God, before some kind of answer comes? The second thing that I shared was around the idea of what do I do, uh, and God says, I want you to be faithful, and he talks around the terminology of the righteous shall live by their faithfulness, their faith in me. And the word righteous in that context means those who have a relationship with me, that know who I am as their God, they will make it through by being faithful and having faith in me. So That's the second concept. Today the third concept is just one word, the title today. If I have a message page, I, I like to do that. So if you want to take notes, you can. If not, that's fine. But the title is one word, just God. Just the word God, what that means. Two years ago, my wife, Rhonda, and I went on a trip to Santa Fe. We enjoy getting out there sometime, Enjoyed that there in the summertime, the cool weather out there in that area. And we stayed at a Holiday Inn. And while there, she decided she wanted to go to a cooking class. And I love her doing that because I get to eat what she cooks. And so uh, here's a picture of what she's going to learn about. Uh, You might know what those are. You might not. those are hatch chili peppers. Certain time of the year, they come, they ripen there, uh, and you can, you can go almost any major city and, and hear them being, and smell them being roasted uh, for whatever they're going to make, and, and she learned how to do that. And while she's in that class, a three- or four-hour class, I decided I was going to be going. I was going to go uh, up in the mountains on a trail and do a trail run. It turned out to be a trail walk run because that high altitude's hard to run in. So I went up there for that trail run. It, I figured about three hours up in that area. I looked, I searched, researched it, figured out how, how far it was going to be and how long I had to run and how high it was going to be. And so I got on that run. And I'm going to show you another picture related to the run. This is a, a kind of not actually that trail, but it's a trail like that where it has a map that you look at and say, here's where you go, turn, that kind of thing. And so I began the the walk, run, had one thing of water heading up there in the mountains, I had three hours to go pick her up. Well, as I got up there and ran for a couple of hours, it came time to turn down and go back down the mountain. And I found a kind of a, uh, where some trails came together and there was the sign. I looked at it for about a minute or so and ran on, not realizing I didn't look at the sign properly and with switchbacks going up and down those mountains, I found myself going back up the mountain instead of down. And I didn't notice until after maybe an hour or so, I became aware, I've seen all this before. I think I've made an error, and I've got to turn around and try to get back down. And I had two fears. One is I wasn't going to get back down, I'm going to die in the mountains, die in thirds. And, and the worst fear, I was going to be late picking my wife up from her cooking class <laughs> there in Santa Fe. Uh, Now, now here's the point. I I, I needed to stop and spend—not be in a hurry, not to panic, not to not pay attention. I need to spend more time looking at that sign and say, "Don't look at it upside down next time. Look at it right." That is exactly what you're doing this morning. You have come to check out the sign. Just take some time in your life, whether you're whether you're in turmoil or hard times or having difficulty whether you're dealing with a, a disease or, or, or a divorce or a job loss or whatever concern you might have, that you're looking and saying, I'm going to check God out. Today I'm going to spend some time with this. <laughs> you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to sing or I'm going to listen to singing. I'm going to, I'm going to pray or listen to praying. I'm going to give or watch other people give. And I'm going to listen to a sermon and hopefully God's going to talk to me today as I come to speak to God and know God and look at God. I think sometimes we can find ourselves uh, so Self-centered, we miss the God-centered idea of what Christianity, Christian faith is really about, being centered in God. I think the reason for that is we live in such a, a world centered in me. And my world really is centered in me. Wherever I go, it's all about Mike Ramsdell. If I go to a store, it's about me. They want me to buy their products. If I go to a restaurant, it's about me. If I go to a dealership, it's about me. Oh, boy, it's about me there. You know, when you, they sit you down and give you coffee, you know, that's what they're about, and, and that's how the world. So everywhere I am, I'm a very important person. Wherever I go, if i have got money in my wallet, you're especially important. I'm very, very important in the world I live in. It's so when I come to church, am I important here? I want to be important here. I must be important here. Well, today, it's not about how important I am. It's who God is, and turning to God and who God is as my creator, my savior, my Lord, and above all, you know, we connect with Jesus in that, in that respect. Now, how do we know we're at least moving toward we have a little bit sense of God or being God-centered? Here's how we know that, I think. We want to worship. We are drawn to worship God, to praise God, and to submit to God. The more we know the awesome Majestic, amazing, glorious nature of our Creator God, the more we feel drawn to, I want to worship you right now. Whether that's a song or a thank you or simply focusing on God or confessing our sins or, or submitting our will to God, whatever that might be, we know when we're drawn that direction, we want to worship, bow, because we can do nothing else in the presence and knowledge of our God. Habakkuk turns to in these chapters. The word God, Habakkuk 2:20, only one verse in the Bible today to read for you. I'm going to read it now. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. In the middle of his turmoil of saying, "How long, O oh Lord, I know I'm supposed to be faithful to you, God. That's what you tell me to do. In the middle of all that, he stops. One verse, but the Lord is God. The Lord is who he said he is. The Lord is my creator, and I'm going to right now just focus on him. I'm going to stop in the middle of disaster, devastation, destruction, and imminent invasion by a foreign enemy a world consumed by sin and idolatry. He can't understand people abandoning God. He stops and turns toward the middle of that world. He turns to God. And the Lord is in his holy temple, and I'll keep silent before him. Habakkuk is simply a man like you and me, praying to God. And in the book, we get to look over his shoulder as he prays in our own prayer, our own reality, we experience God the way He wants to be experienced in a book God gives us and says, read this, I want you to know this. And if you're in difficult times, I want you to know it even more God might say in these words today. Three things I want to look at very quickly. The first is this. If God is, and I certainly believe that's true, then all of life ought to be about God. That would mean When things are going very, very well, my life ought to be about God. When things are going very, very bad, my life also ought to be about God. One season should not be that different from the other. If God is, and I believe that God exists, and God is my creator, and God is my savior in Jesus Christ, then I want to turn toward that God as who he is. Here's the second thought. Hard times can sometimes lead us to be egocentric. Uh, when life deteriorates, we, we have a tendency to do that. We, we're consumed by whatever issue we're, we're, we care about right then, the health issue that we have or the job issue or the, or the marriage and family issue or just the issue that I carry in my life or my addiction issue. Uh, we find ourselves being consumed by that at such a level, we often, it, be, it can even become our God. That's what we worship and care about. It. We're consumed by that. And so we become very egocentric when that season happens and life deteriorates. Or... And the third point, hard times can also lead someone to be God-centric when life grows, it develops, it transforms, it changes. We learn who God is, who we really are, and make that connection in the reality of what our truth is. We live in a world of sin and death, but God's come to that world in Jesus Christ and death and resurrection, cross and resurrection for you and me. In that place, we find an answer, and so we turn toward God in that season, and we grow in faithfulness as we grow in faith as Habakkuk was challenged to grow in the verse we're looking at today. The Lord in it. The Lord, he is God. Let all the world be silent before him. Submit, worship, praise, and how we change and how we grow in that relationship with God and how life changes because of it and how we find ourselves where God wants us to be. That's important to know. It is a very risky thing to live life when we're centered in anything else but God, whatever it might be, our job. Many folks center their life in their job, even their family, even uh, having good health or a hobby or whatever it might be. We often center life in those things, and those things are all good. They're important to care about, but they must extend from being centered in God. As we're centered in God, those things flow from that, and there we find the balance in life that makes it all work. It's highly risky to live anyplace else. And many times we live centered in something else. Something else is more important, of higher value. We care about it the most. When it begins to deteriorate, then we fall apart. We can't function. We can't deal with it. And we say to God, why, what, when, how long? As Habakkuk said, until he comes to a place where he says, well, you're still God. And so I'm going to bow before you and I'm going to pray and I'm going to praise. If we look over his shoulder. I'll we'll show you another picture so I kind of transition the message a little bit. And that's a picture of my mother. Uh, that she, we, we kind of think that was probably when she was in high school. She graduated from high school in 1941. Tells you how old my mom is. She was 27 when my brother and I were born. Uh, and there's her picture, very beautiful woman. Next picture. And that's a picture she was probably in her early 20s then. She worked uh, at a hotel and ran the switchboard. Here's an idea of the date of her time and her story. Uh, and that's a picture of my mom as well. I'm going to show you a third picture. Now, this was some years later. She's probably in her early 40s. This picture, we were living in Okinawa, Japan. My dad was stationed there in the Air Force, and she was at a fashion show. And How they talked her into it, she's kind of shy about things like that, but she got up there, and, and a very beautiful woman as well in her early 40s, uh, probably 1967, put me about maybe 14 years old at that time in that picture. Now, I'm going to show you a third picture. Stay in this one for a while. Uh, yes, that's me. Who is that guy? That's me, and that's also my mother. When I was in the Navy Station in Georgia, my mom and dad were driving through, stopped at a hotel and called me and says, "Mike, can you come see us?" Uh, we're here for a day or so, moving somewhere else." And, and so I got on my motorcycle, which I had in those days, uh, and drove out to see and rode it out to see my mom and dad there at their pool at the hotel. My little sister was there also. My sister was probably about 10 at the time. My youngest sister was also there. Now my mom is, was absolutely desperately afraid of water. Uh, I mean, like screaming, getting near the water, splashing her face, she panics. That's how she was. And I'm 19 at the time, so what do I know? And so I pick her up and carry her into the pool. Now, this is the picture when she'd calmed it down. <laughs> You know, you still, see, you still see fear in my mother's face in this picture, you know, and there, I apologize for the little goatee and the mustache. It's all I could do at 19, so I just, that's just what I had. Uh, you could grow a beard back in the Navy in those days, which was a real mistake, but I don't think you can anymore. Take that picture off now. <laughs> I thought I looked good, you know. Anybody else have a picture like that where you thought you looked good and everybody else says, no, I don't think so? Now, my mother, my mom, uh, my mom always took us to church growing up. She was always uh, one who brought us, she had us baptized in her little Methodist church in St. Angelo when my brother and I were born, uh, and we were baptized there. We always went to church overseas and chapels, usually the Methodist church if there was one around. I went to a Methodist church in high school as well. She pretty much made my brother and I go, and so we said, yes, ma'am, and we went to church, and a very, very Christian religious lady always was. In my house, you couldn't say bad words, and the worst words you could say was using anything related religiously to a curse word, to use the name of God or anything related to that. I mean, that was really bad. In my house, you were getting real trouble. So that was the way my mom was. Uh, she had a, a, a renewed religious experience in her 40s, and it came closer to Christ in those years, even though she always went to church, uh, began working in what's called Emmaus, which is a, a, a kind of a, a retreat setting where you serve other people. She did that. She also served her church. She taught Sunday school, uh, the ladies' class, for years and years and years and years in her church there in San Angelo, and she loved doing that. Uh, she served the church through district and conference activities, uh, which is really a major commitment to do that, uh, to go beyond a local church. She did that. She also became what's called a certified lay speaker, uh, which means that you went through a school, you got licensed, and you preached places, and she would do that. She would preach in small churches around St. Angelo when the pastors were on vacation. She'd fill in for them. Preach at her own church on occasion. My brother and I, who's also a Methodist pastor, we would often have her come preach for us. Most often on Mother's Day. Have her mom preach. She was a good... Good preacher. She spoke well. She told great illustrations. She had a great solid message in Christ, and people loved to have her come and preach. It was been sad I wasn't able to have her come here because her health began to deteriorate, uh, really in the early 70s, in her early seventies, which is really young, have your health go down the hill. But she had a heart issue, extreme heart issue, and that was a devastating uh, shutdown of her life. So she began to gravitate toward being an invalid. Uh, found herself unable to leave the house for very much. Uh, getting out to do anything was difficult for her to do. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse through the years. We were all saddened by that. And so finally we got the call that mom, uh, your mom, my dad would call us. His name is Ernest Ernie. Uh, my dad called and said, your mom's getting ready to go in hospice. We were all surprised, not quite ready for that. Hospice is where you go when they say you're going to die soon. They put her on hospice and we began traveling out there more to San Angelo to see her. And I would go out there often, leaving them with my motorcycle, which I don't have. now. I sold it finally. But leave on Thursday night, my, my bike, and uh, stay Friday and come back early Saturday morning. That many, many times if I could make my way out there to see my mom and dad during, during that season. Uh, and, and there was a time that, that I went. And, and what, uh, what my dad said, I need you to go shopping with me. Uh, they had a hospice person there to help her, so we could do that. So we went. I thought, what's so important? You gotta, I'm here one day, and we got to go shopping. And he wanted to buy two small trash cans. You know, when life gets that difficult, life can also get very small. Bec- be- and that devastation happens. It becomes smaller and smaller. And that was happening for my, my mom and dad. My dad was an Air Force pilot, officer, uh, corporate person after that, very successful in his life. Uh, and we bought two trash cans. I didn't know what they were for. And I got home to find out. He put one trash can on one side of my mom's hospice bed that she never, did. she didn't she did leave. She couldn't get out of that bed. On the other side, he put another trash can. And he hated the fact that she would occasionally drop Kleenex in the floor. And he'd have to pick it up. So here's what he did. He put the trash can by the bed. Said, okay, Winona. He called her Winona, which was her name. Uh, and... <laughs> Some people don't call their wives. They call them, like, honey and darling, but he called her Winona. Uh and he, and he dropped it, and she dropped it and missed it, and so he would move it. And he kept, you know, who's a fighter-bomber pilot. He knew how to do these runs. And so he, he finally got it to where she could drop it and hit it every time. Then he went to the other side and did the exact same thing. You can drop it on either side. Just do it like you're doing it now. You know, and that's how life got to be for, for my mom and my dad a, as well. And we were going not long after that to see her in one of those nights and uh, one of those days and one of those nights. And she said, Mike, I want you to pray for me. I said, well, you know, Mom, I'm going to pray for you. No, I want you to pray. I want you to tell, not ask, I want you to tell Jesus I'm ready to go to heaven right now. I don't want any more of this. I'm ready to tell Jesus I want to go to heaven. Now, I'm a pastor, so I know all the answers for people say. So I knew what to say. I knew to say, "No, Mom, Jesus may not be ready for you. He may have a different will for your life right now, and it may not include death today. So, you know, she said, I want you to tell Jesus that I'm ready to go to heaven right now. And so I said, okay. So I prayed that prayer, as you might imagine, that as she asked me to. And I began to think, you know, that God's going to answer that. She's going to die tonight. My mom would go to sleep in those years the heart disease she had and very difficulty a lot of pain with it, neuropathy and other things. And she would be and she would sleep in such a way you think that any breath the next breath is gonna be the last. You know, she's barely breathed. Just barely had that breath, and they would come long distance apart. And so I thought, tonight's the night. God's going to take her to heaven. It's like I asked, and she asked, and she wants, and we want. I couldn't tell this story eight years ago, which, but I can tell it today. And I tell this story and, uh, uh, about her. And, and so every 15 minutes or so, I'd walk in her room and see. it's going to be now. She's going to be going to heaven right now. God's going to answer her prayer and my prayer and our prayer in 15 minutes and 30 minutes and an hour and an hour. All night long, I kept going. And the next morning, well, she was still alive. You know, it, it's sad when someone's still alive, isn't it? But that was our story at this season. And she didn't die. A few weeks later, uh, my dad called and said, well, she, she hadn't been eating for several weeks. And when you don't eat, you're going to die eventually. And so she hadn't been eating. She woke up today and said, Ernie, I want some chilling eggs. Chili yeah. So he made her some chilling eggs, and she lived a year on hospice after that. And that's, that's her story. Now, what I bought today... We're uh, still talking to Habakkuk, by the way, is, is her cross, one of her crosses. She had, a, we had, she had a wall of crosses that my wife and I now have. It's on the hallway of our house. Uh, this is her, her very special cross. And if you didn't know my mom, uh, this is her. These colors, uh, this shape, this kind of western, west Texas look, this is my mom. Uh, this is who she was. And in here, I'm not going to read it for you. Uh, you can pull this little cap off, and there's a prayer inside here. Not long before she died, she asked my wife Rhonda, I'd like you to to write a prayer and put it in there for me on that cross and put it there by my bed. Uh, And my wife Rhonda said, well, tell me what to write, and I'll write it. I want you to write it for me. And so she wrote it for my mom. It's still in here in the cross, and put it by the bed. Sometime in the midst of nonsense, the cross is the only thing that makes sense. In the midst of life that can be desperately difficult, there's a reason the cross of Christ, God's love for us, God in his temple makes sense in that desperate season. And that's what God gives you and me and why we look at this sign and stop for a while. And say, I'm, I'm, I'm going too fast. I've got, I got to fix this problem. i got to make it all work. I've got to survive somehow. But no, let's stop and look at what God gives us. And that's God himself who comes to us in Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The miracle of God for us. Well, look at a verse in Corinthians. That I think speaks to this Habakkuk message as well as what I'm telling us today. We put that up there for us. It's 4-7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now you know jars of clay are very fragile. It's guaranteed to break eventually. That's why that's used. So we are very fragile, we are breakable, we fracture, whether it be sin or addictions or death or broken lives or whatever it might be, it's part of our journey. As David said, if you don't need it now, you're going to need it. But it shows that all surpassing power is from God. The message today is God. And not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed because of God that we turn to in times of crisis where we grow in what matters the most, and that is our relationship with Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The second verse in 2 Corinthians, my power, God says, is perfected in weakness In the weak times, we realize who God is, and sometimes even more who we really are. The truth really comes to light. Our reality is made more clear. Sometimes we miss that truth, but we knew it with my mom for a year what that truth was. Even longer, really, her health was deteriorating long before that. I knew what that truth was when I had my heart attack three years ago. I knew it then. We know when we lost people, we lost our first child. We knew it then. We know those truths. That truth, and our oldest daughter got divorced and had to go through that time with her three kids, how painful that was in our journey with her in that season that went on such a long time. She's doing well now, but in those stories, my power is known. My power is made perfect. My power is made real. My power is there in the weakest of times. As Habakkuk says, as we often say, why, what, when, waiting for those answers to come. And I waited that night every 15 minutes, and the answer didn't come the way I expected. But in that season, God became even more and more real as I know God is in charge of all of this, and I must trust him. God is God, is God, is God, is God. And I'm one who's called to simply worship, praise, and submit. Thy will be done and not mine, as Christ prayed on his own, leading up to his own crucifixion for our sins of the world. Romans 8.22 the whole creation groans as if in childbirth. I love this biblical truth, and I want to share more about that. Uh, my wife and I have three children together. We, we love uh, our kids. They're all grown now, we have nine grandkids uh, now as well. And we thank our kids for being so successful in that arena, uh, giving us those nine grandkids. And, and our first grandchild was born, I mean, our first child was born uh, in Springfield, Missouri, And I was supposed to be in the room when the child was born, when Julie was born. Uh, But My wife had the baby so fast, I couldn't get the little uniform on fast enough to get in there. So uh, I missed it. You had to dress up back in those days to get in there. So I missed it. Instead, I met a doctor saying or a nurse saying, you have a daughter. Now, my son, I was able to be there for him in the room when my wife uh, birthed him. Exciting moment to see I have a son. You didn't know back then. It's going to be a boy or a girl. So I have a son, have a daughter, you know, very good. Uh, our third child was born in Texas, and the doctor we had wouldn't allow dads to be in the delivery room. He was an old-fashioned doctor back there in 1980 uh, when Kelly was born. But I knew exactly when she was born because the waiting room was right outside the delivery room in that small hospital. And so I could hear my wife when labor pains began. You know, that minute or so, the pain happens. How many know when labor pains when that minute or so? That, okay, a few of you know. Anyway, uh, that minute or so, uh, she would scream. And I would say, I recognize that scream. Uh, and then uh, next labor pain, two minutes, three minutes later, I hear her scream again. Uh, and, I, and I say, oh, that's Rhonda. We're getting closer. And after a series of that going on for about three hours, uh, I finally heard a really loud scream and I thought, we have a baby. I recognized that scream when she would scream, you know, and and and, and the res- and the result was Kelly Winona Ramsdale. Uh, who's now married with two kids and trying to get back to Puerto Rico where her husband's stationed. I had stuck in Miami overnight, but they'll get there eventually, we believe. Uh, And so we we enjoy that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that that what God is doing is birthing something beyond sin and death. His message of cross and resurrection speaks of that, and God's about redeeming us, saving us, restoring us to himself, working in our life, making us whole, getting us past the sin and death that marks our lives. That's what God is doing five centuries after Habakkuk's story, Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem and right outside the very town about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. But it would be restored, rebuilt. Christ would come. The world would be saved by his death and resurrection. And God's working in our life in really the same way in his son, Jesus Christ. So I go back to the the sign there in the mountains that I was walking in and running in uh, that day. Need to stop a little longer, spend more time looking and making sure it was right side up. Right side up, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. That's why you're here. I believe that's why you're here. You're here whether, whether you're in a desperate season and you might be or you're not, to look to God, to look to God, look to God. I'm not asking you to say why, when, or what, though we often do. It's part of being human that we do that. Habakkuk did that. How long? How long, O oh Lord? he cries, and he prays. but We're looking to God, and that's worship, that's prayer, that's submitting to God, and a season that he takes us beyond that and his blessings in our life. And in that respect, will you pray with me now, please? Heavenly Father, you know the season that we are in even better than we do. There are many here where life's going just fine, God bless them in that journey. May they serve you and grow a knowledge of you and grow in faith and know how to love you more and know how much you love them and may they serve you in all kinds of ways. Others here, Lord, in desperate seasons, difficult times of health issues or marriage issues or divorce issues or, or job issues or, or addiction issues, God knows those people are here. There are others somewhere in the middle, a little worried, depressed, anxious, afraid. This problem, that problem of a loved one, God, that's our season. That's who we are. So in our weakness, today may your power be perfected. In our our jars of clay that we are, may your treasure grow within us. And God, that's our faith in you and your love for us. In a season of nonsense, it's often how life in the world seems to be, we thank you for the cross of your son that makes sense for us. Your son who's died for our sins, raised from the dead to give us everlasting life, and your commitment, God, to always be with us. That's our prayer of faith, giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.